Blog Talk Radio.
Genesis, Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah, he is our righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in life's fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist crying, Revive thy works in the midst of the year. Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain opened up at the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. In Mark, he is the servant. In Luke, he is the son of man, feeling what you feel. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the rock, solid as your In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one, giving victory. In Galatians, he is your liberty. He set you free. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, he is your completeness. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is your hope. In 1 Timothy, he is your faith. In 2 Timothy, he is your stability. In Philemon, he is your benefactor. In Titus, he is truth. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. In James, he is the power behind your faith. In First Peter, he is your example. In Second Peter, he is your purity. In First John, he is your life. In Second John, he is your pattern. In Third John, he is your motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of your faith. In Revelation, he is your coming king. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and he's pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him and the leaders can't ignore him. Hair couldn't kill him. Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. New Age can't replace him, and Oprah can't explain him away. He is life, love, longevity, and more. He is goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging, and his mind is on me. He is my redeemer. He is my savior. He is my guide. He is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord, and he rules my life. 
Thank you. 
spreading the love worldwide. www.jesusinthemorningradio.com Your 
Nehemiah 8 and 6 and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands, they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When we receive a word from the Lord, our answer should be, Amen. Let the church say, Amen. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. God has spoken. So let the church say amen. Let the church let them say amen. If you believe the word, let the whole church say amen. God has spoken. So let the church say amen. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. God has spoken. So let the church church say No matter 
the church say Church All we needed was a word from the Lord. We've got it so let the church let the whole church God has spoken. Well, 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 let the church let the church say let the church say. Yeah. 
hear the word. It has been such a flattering honor to serve God's people in any capacity. I'm going to ask Bishop Blake, the first assistant presiding bishop, to come and present our bishop. We're ready for the word. remain standing on your feet. The most reverend G.E. Patterson is one of the most eloquent preachers on the face of the earth. He's a man of God, a creative thinker. He's a churchman, a statesman, a model, an example. He's a godly leader. He's a world-class pastor. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for this first year of his administration. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for a tremendously successful leadership conference. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for a $250,000 personal gift to the Church of God in Christ. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for a historic visit to Lexington. We want to thank him that he has provided compassionate ministry to eight jurisdictions following the death of their bishops in the past 12 months. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for his pervasive vision for the ministry of the Church of God in Christ to the world. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for the extensive remodeling project on Mason Temple, for the video screens that were installed, for the interactive video conferencing that we've been able to enjoy on today. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for the new Bishop's Council Chamber and for the pair prayer counselors chambers and other facilities in Mason Temple. 
We want to thank him for organizational innovations and management revisions. We want to thank Bishop Patterson for the C.H. Mason Bible College. We want to thank Bishop G.E. Patterson for the new climate of spirituality and unity that exists in the church of God in Christ. We want to thank God for our leader, ladies and gentlemen, the most reverend G.E. Patterson, presiding bishop of the church of God in Christ. Let's clap our hands and receive the man of God. Won't you reach your hand to somebody and just tell them, neighbor, I want to thank God for bringing the glory back. Come on and praise him. Come on and give him praise. That's the name of Jesus. Come on, reach out and touch someone by the hand. Lord, we want to praise you. Praise you for this day. We praise you for this hour. Thank you for your presence in the room. For we know that when your presence is among us, even without the laying on of hands, sick bodies are healed. Bondage is broken. And the yoke is destroyed by the anointing. Thank you, Lord. God, we ask today that you would anoint these lips of clay. Allow us to speak as an oracle of Christ and not just as a man. Hide us behind your glorious cross and cover us with your precious blood allowing no flesh to glory in your sight and Lord when we shall have left this assembly even as Moses came down from the presence of God and his face had a glow about it Lord when we leave from this holy convocation let everybody who we come in contact know that we have been in the presence of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Come on and give him praise. One more time, give him praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You may be seated. For the power of the Lord is still the same. So you, you won't leave it. Like you came in the Jesus name. Just tell somebody, 
You won't leave it like you came. In Jesus' name. Bound, oppressed, afflicted, sick or slain. All the power of the Lord is still the same. So just tell somebody so you won't leave it like you can't tell yourself I I won't leave it like I can't come on and embrace somebody and tell them we we won't leave it like we can't in the Jesus name. Oh, hallelujah. Glory. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Let me take just a few moments and give praise, glory, and honor to God our Heavenly Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for allowing the Church of God in Christ to celebrate actually this our 104th year as a holiness church from the time that Bishop Mason organized the first Church of God in Christ, the Mother Church in Lexington, and 94 years since he received the gift of the Holy Ghost and called together the church for its first time as a Pentecostal tongue-speaking church. And the glory of the Lord (laughs) is still great in the midst of his saints. I want to thank the saints one year ago through our electoral process selected or made choice or agreed with God that I would be your chief servant to serve in the office of presiding bishop of the church. And I want to thank God for these great men who have been elected to serve with us as the members of the general board, our first assistant, the one and only pastor of our largest church in this entire denomination, Bishop Charles E. Blake. And the second assistant, the gentleman from Texas, 
school. I believe that if uh, I just pumped him a little bit more, I saw an unusual anointing on him today. Bishop J. Newell Haynes. To the gentleman who served us for six years, a man who I've often referred to as the greatest evangelist that our church has ever produced, I mentioned it the other night, that when others of us would be stomping and tuning and sweating and jumping, he'd stand up with a handkerchief in his hand and talk about Jesus and get as many and more folks saved than we did sweating. And the Lord saw fit that he would go to the very heights of the church. He's going to be delivering the closing message, the communion message on tomorrow. Bishop Chandler David Owen. We love you, Bishop Owen. Amen. The church loves Bishop Owen. Come on, praise God for him. secretary of our general board who served as general secretary for a number of years, another great leader and anointed man of God, the Bishop W.W. W. Hamilton. That's Bishop Hamilton. The assistant secretary, another man of tremendous vision and organizational skills as well as the teaching and preaching anointing from Louisiana, the Bishop Roy L. H. Winbush. And the man that we often just kind of refer to as the father of the board, he uh, kind of adopted the phrase of Mother Bibby that he may be hopping, but he ain't stopping. Uh, Bishop Leroy. Anderson, another one of our great senior members of the board who's been serving, uh, I don't know how many terms, but from Detroit, Michigan, and he is another organizational genius and great man of God, Bishop Philip Aquila Brooks. And the gentleman whom we heard his voice just before the time of the offering. Uh, well, we've been hearing his voice all over the country on radio. A lot of people just know him simply as the Crusader. Bishop L.E. Willis. And also from the state of Virginia, another great man of God that... Uh, Periodically, he reminds us that the light's on green. Bishop Samuel L. Green. And from uh, San Diego, California, theologian, prolific writer, another man that the world respects for his uh, theological standing throughout Christendom, 
Bishop George Dallas McKinney. Last, my teenage friend from Western Michigan, uh, who has shown not only that he is a preacher and a great preacher, but he operates in the area of affordable housing. He's mastered that area, and I don't know how many millions of dollars worth of property that they have in western Michigan uh, for people who normally wouldn't be able to have a decent place to stay. Bishop Nathaniel Wyoming Wells. Now if you're wondering why my mouth is dry, I'm nervous. It's not an easy thing to stand, not only just before so many, but just to stand before God's people. You have to be very careful what you say in front of God's people. One of the great mistakes that young preachers make, and I made it myself when I was a young preacher. You know, we were so caught up with our own little calling and sometimes take over church and people who have given their life and mortgaged their houses and uh, we let them know I'm the pastor now so whatever if you don't like what I said the door swings both ways when you get a little old and, and God teaches you amen you learn that when you speak to God's people, you're on trial before him. And we have to be very careful what we say about God's people. Amen. I honor all of these great leaders, the Judiciary Board Chairman and all of that board. Bless you, Bishop Westbrook, Bishop uh, L.T. Walker, and the entire board of bishops, Bishop. J.O. Patterson, Jr., and the General Assembly. And certainly we give love and respect to our saintly mother, and she is really a beautiful vessel of God, Mother Willie Mae Rivers and all of these great women. And to my own wife, Louise. Been married 34 years now, soon will be 35. God bless her and all of these great people. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Glad to see my sisters here. Barbara, uh, Barbara Davis, Evangelist Barbara Davis, uh, Evangelist Mary Hawkins, Supervisor Leola Smith. I want my three sisters to stand. God bless you. And we are so happy to see the uh, daughters of our founder, other members of the Mason family, I want all the Mason family to stand. Praise God. All these. Amen. Sister Julia, Sister Ruth, amen. God bless you. And we're happy for all of the wives of our general board members and former general board members, those who've gone on to be with the Lord. 
How many of our former general board members, uh, widows, do we have here? Stand up. The uh, Mrs. Mrs. J.O. Patterson, Mrs. Uh, Amen, Mother Mary Wells, and uh, Mother F.D. Washington, and Mother Clemens. God bless all of these great women of God. Did I miss any of them? And we are so glad always to have our living treasure, the one and only Bishop O.T. Jones. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I know you're going to. Amen. As it has already been stated, our special guest tonight, we only have two messages remaining in this meeting after I shall have finished, and that will be uh, tonight. And I invited him to share with us tonight uh, because I think that we may not in all of our history we might not have reached out in the right way for our sons. We have some sons that uh, are not with us organizationally, but are with us in spirit. And there's nobody who goes to the uh, Azusa Fellowship or that sees our guests on television who does not frequently hear him talk about his roots and what made him what he is. Bishop Carlton Pearson, God bless you. We love you. And we'll be listening to hear you home tonight. All right. My wife was trying to give me a signal. Uh, I did. I didn't forget this Bishop Anderson. I called his name. <laughs> Amen. Your mother Ribbon must have been talking. Yeah, in fact, when I mentioned him, I said he's borrowed a line from Mother Bibby. He's hopping but not stopping. Yeah, yeah. Well, my mind's working today, y'all. Let's go to the word of the Lord. We've heard some great messages, some anointed messages in this meeting I understand that there are many saints who did not know that for this convocation we really started a day early on Monday at 9 a.m. this past Monday. We went into Mason Temple and uh, had a time of fasting and prayer that uh, did not end until after the opening service on Tuesday. So those who uh, went with us fasted from bedtime Sunday night until after the benediction on opening day. 
And at first I felt impressed. I really didn't just feel impressed, but I felt under divine orders. We're a great church for talking about we need to go back to fasting. We need to go back to praying. We need to. And when we get through preaching and saying, well, we need to, very seldom do we do what we all agree we need to do. But uh, as of this past Monday, the Church of God in Christ is officially back to beginning the convocation with fasting and prayer. And this will, this will continue. And we believe that God is going to continue to do mighty things in the midst of his people. I want you to turn with me to the book of Joshua. And also the book of Hebrews. In Joshua chapter 24, and I trust that you will allow your Bibles to remain open. Joshua chapter 24, we'll begin reading with verse 14. If you have it, say amen. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Put a Bible marker there and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we begin reading with verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ, 
by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. From these two passages of Scripture today, I want to share with you that which I believe the Lord has dropped into my spirit and laid heavily upon my heart, the theme being, it is time to recommit to our Lord. It is time to recommit to our Lord. Now, I know some would say, preacher, why would you choose such a subject? Because I got saved 45 years ago, and I've been saved ever since I got saved. And haven't done nothing wrong, haven't done nothing shamed of, nothing that would cause me to be lost, nothing that I need to repent of. Well, maybe not until then, but if you said that, you just lied. Because all of us, whether they be sins of commission or sins of omission, every once in a while, every one of us need to come before God in a time of repentance. Recommitment is not some unfamiliar term in today's society because people who have been married for 25 years celebrating their silver anniversary. Often they have special ceremonies to repeat their vows of marriage so that the husband might recommit himself and his love to his wife and she might commit her love and her loyalty and faithfulness to her husband. 25 years later, on the 50-year anniversary, Often it is done again. We have even in our local churches days of rededication. And when I thought about the fact that the Church of God in Christ is in that 100-year-old range, the Lord placed it in my spirit to call the saints together in a time of fasting and prayer for the beginning of our holy convocation. And we call it a day of repentance restoration and rededication because I believe there is much in our individual lives as well as in the lives of our organization as a corporate body there are things for which we need to repent I'm not going to get into a list of things because I think sometimes when we begin to enumerate that we can go a little bit too far. Everybody does not believe exactly the same thing, and sometimes when we start commenting on what is and what is not sin, 
what may be sin to one may not necessarily be sin to all. Sin is not sin because you don't like it. Sin is sin because God's word condemns it. Israel, at the time when the book of Joshua was written, they were now under their second leader. God had called Moses, first of all allowing him to be raised up in Egypt as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and God allowed him to learn as much about Egypt as he could know, while his nurse, that happened to also be his mother, taught him everything that she knew about the God of the Hebrews. And when the fullness of time had come, they had been in bondage for 430 years, and the Lord brought them out of Egypt, and reminded them that I did it with a strong arm. Uh, that what you were involved in was not something that you could have just come out of uh, just with a snap of a finger. But God said 430 years of bondage. One reason it required the strong arm of God was not just because of the might of Pharaoh, but because the Israelites themselves had allowed the doctrine and the teachings and the religion of Egypt to enter their hearts. Simply that when God called Moses on the backside of the desert and uh, he wanted to know, well, Lord, who are you? He said, well, my name is I Am. Uh, well, the reason he had to tell him is because Moses, having been brought up in Egypt, he knew that the Egyptians had a system of religion wherein they had a pantheon of nine major gods and then at the top just like a star on the top of the pyramid uh, that god was the sun god Ra but under Ra these other nine supposedly got their power from the ones above them Osiris and Isis and Kepher and Geb and Set and Nut and the others but after the nine major gods, they had a different idol god whom they felt performed every function in nature. And Moses back and tell Pharaoh that God said, let my people go. My problem's really not going to be with the Egyptians as much as it will be with the Hebrews. They're going to want to know which one of the gods have sent thee. And God said, let them know that I am simply the self-existent one. Call me I am, because I don't have to get my power from anybody above me because there is none above me. I don't have to get my power and authority from a collection of gods because beside me there is none else. So Moses began to teach, perform miracles, but at the same time teach the children of Israel concerning their God. By the time the Lord through Moses brought them out of Egypt, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then when Moses died, here comes Joshua, whom the Lord had raised up to be his successor. 
Now, Joshua, the book of Joshua, covers about 25 years of Israel's history. By the time Joshua comes into power, he is dealing with a generation of Hebrews that really didn't know anything about the plagues that God brought on Egypt. Because when you remember, after they got out into the wilderness on their way to the promised land and the people began to murmur and to complain, God said to Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill these folk and raise up a new nation from your family roots. Moses said, no, God, don't do that because the other nations will say that you brought them out of Egypt and were not able to give them the total deliverance. So he intervened. He did not really stop the death of the nation, but he slowed it down. And God said, I'll tell you what, from 20 years up, not a single one of them other than you, Joshua, and Caleb will enter into the promised land. So all of the adults dropped dead during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And by the time Joshua gets to the borders of the promised land, he's dealing with the youth group that has grown up. 25 years later, when Joshua himself is about to die, others have grown up who knew nothing whatsoever about the days under Moses. So Joshua starts off by giving them a little history in his farewell address. He tells them about how Abram, before God changed his name uh, to Abraham, when he was simply Abram, he had left Ur of the Chaldees and went down in the Haran of Mesopotamia. And there God called Abram out and promised what he would do for him. And how that from Abram there comes Isaac, and from Isaac there comes Jacob and Esau, and then from Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, there come the other twelve sons, who are the fathers of the twelve tribes. And he tells them how God allowed them to be in Egypt for 40 years, or rather 300, 430 years. And when he brought them out, in spite of what God did, every little opportunity they had, they were worshiping idol gods. So he's saying now it's time for you to recommit to the God who made you who you are. God said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. You're going to see all that God has promised. You're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig and you're going to eat from vineyards and olive trees that you didn't plant. You're going to walk and live in houses that you didn't build full of good things and you didn't have anything to do with filling up those houses. But when you get there, recommit now because the gods of the land and the gods of the people of the land will be beckoning to you everywhere. But make it up in your mind that we are recommitting to the God who brought us out. I think that that is apropos when we think about 
the promises that God made to us as a church during the days of Bishop Mason and the other founders, founding fathers and mothers. If they were to be able to rise up today and see what God has really done, they would actually be astonished. Yes, Bishop Mason did say God told him, take the name Church of God in Christ, and you will never be able to have a building that is large enough to hold the people. He never even saw it explode out of Mason Temple. Well, he saw it to some degree because I can remember as a youngster going to Mason Temple and it would be packed and Bishop Riley Williams would probably be bringing the official message and, and back in the uh, assembly hall, which is now the general board chamber, probably Evangelist Randall wearing his white robe that he didn't wear anything else but that would be carrying the service out there. But when you go out on the grounds, there might be a group of folks standing on the grounds, and Dad Mason himself would jump up on a table and be preaching to the folk outdoors. But he never saw the church go to the Mid-South Coliseum and then to Cook Convention Center and last year into the Pyramid and this year in the Pyramid, Cook Center, and Mason Temple. But God is faithful. And whatever he promises, it may take a little time. As it did with Abram and Sarah, God said, I'm going to make out of you a mighty nation. And here was a man already 75 years old. And 11 years later, at 86, he still hadn't fathered a child. It took God 25 years to get Abraham and Sarah started. But one thing about it, if God says it, you can depend on it. Whatever promise God makes, doesn't matter how much time passes, that promise will be fulfilled. You just ought to tell somebody, don't even think you're about to die if you have unfulfilled promises from God. No, no, you can't die until God does what he said. So, Joshua says to these people, now you're going over, you're already, hallelujah, into the land, and I've done all that I can because Joshua conquered 31 kings, and God said to him, now you've conquered these 31 kings, and there's still much more land to conquer. Joshua knew he was about to fall asleep, but he said, I want you to remember, don't give them your sons, don't give them your daughters, because they'll turn your heart from following after the Lord Jesus Christ or following after the God of Israel who was Yahweh or Jehovah, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He recommitted them. He got them to recommit. But the only way you can get other folk to recommit, you've got to be so firm in your stance that it doesn't matter what other folks say. Joshua said, now, you may want to look back to the days of Terah. You may want to look back to the days of Nahor. You may want to look back to the days when your fathers were on the other side of the flood and served those ancient gods that they served before God destroyed the earth by water during the time of Noah. Or you may want to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But whatever your decision, I've already made my commitment. As for me 
and my house, we will serve the Lord. There are some things, and, and, and I mentioned to you about even the time of fasting and prayer. God put that in my spirit, and I made up my mind that if didn't anybody else come, that I was going through that fast, I was going to Mason Temple, that I was going to shut in. And a lot of times we are so loose in our commitment that we'll commit, but my commitment is only if you do it. One thing that I felt the Lord had said to us concerning even having to wade through a sea of costume jewelry and shirts and dresses. And, and I kept hearing Jesus saying in an angry state that, that, that my, my house is to be called a house of prayer and, and you made it a den of thieves. And when I announced in aim that, uh, you know, we, we're not going to have them unless they are people handling religious articles, uh, that in the venue where the convocation will be held, that uh, we're not going to have all of these vendors. And, of course, many of the saints rejoiced, and some of the people, even people holding appointments, uh, who does he think he is? You know, talking about we're not going to have the vendors. But I can tell you now, the convocation isn't uh, over until tomorrow. But even with what we usually get from the vendors, financially, we're already over without the vendors, what we used to have with them. When you decide to step out on the Word of God, you don't have to worry about what other folks say. You know, when I look at a group of, of critics on one side and look at Jesus on the other, I don't have but one way to go. Let's move over to Hebrews. Hebrews is a book that we do not necessarily know who the author was. Most biblical scholars conclude that it was Paul. Because even though it does not bear his name, his name does not appear anywhere, and that is somewhat uh, uncharacteristic of a Pauline epistle. Paul usually starts off all of his writings letting us know who he is. But I think that this was possibly written by the Apostle Paul, but he felt that the message contained in this letter was more important than that he should get the credit. There was a group of men of Israel, Jewish men, who had converted to Christianity. But having converted to Christianity, they were now on the inside looking out. Their fellow Jewish friends who had not converted to Christianity were condemning them, saying, you've gotten tricked. Because they had joined the Christians on the promise that Jesus the Lord was to return soon. Years had passed and Jesus had not made another arrival. 
Others were telling them, you should have never left the faith of your fathers. And when we look around today, there are so many people that although they have joined the church, the church of God in Christ and other denominations of the Christian faith, they are here but they are looking out. Some don't even know that they are looking out. For the last 20 years or so, I have been deeply troubled. And you who listen to our telecast, you've heard that concern come out in many of the messages. I'm concerned when I see men who claim to be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ doing things like lining up with Mr. Farrakhan to go to Washington, D.C. for the Million Man March. I got a lot of criticism about it when I first began to talk and preach and teach against it. But I don't think any of the fellows that I know who went, I don't think they'd go if that march was being held this Saturday. When you commit to Jesus Christ, Joshua said to Israel, you got to remember that he is jealous. Have any of you sisters ever been involved with a jealous man? Any of y'all got a jealous husband? It simply means that he doesn't think very kindly when you are constantly looking in another direction. Especially if he's supporting you. If you don't have anything but wait for him to make the paycheck and he brings it home. If you can depend on him to take good care of you and then you go out to dinner and here you are on his arm looking in another direction. Joshua said, our God is a jealous God. I know we're living in a time in America now when it has become very popular. See, our church, I said this to the Board of Bishops, our church is much like our nation. The United States of North America is called the melting pot. You don't have anybody that is native-born Americans except those whom we used to refer to as Indians. And they are not at all in the forefront of what is happening in this country. Everybody who is in the forefront of the government, in the forefront of business, commerce, forefront of, of our political government are people from somewhere else come from Japan they've come from China they've come from Germany come from Mexico come from all over the world and our parents were brought from Africa unwittingly and cast on these mundane shores but when you consider the fact that we are a melting pot and people have come from everywhere and now the enemies of America, they basically dwell in countries where their religion dominates even the government. And we receive sad news of missionaries who have been put to death and arrested for even trying to give out a pamphlet or a Bible with the name of Jesus in it. But here in the United States, where we have all kinds of religions, we also have 
in the church all kinds of beliefs and philosophies. Now it's nothing new to go to a gathering, an ecumenical gathering, and hear a Christian preacher pray in the name of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God uh, of um, Malcolm X, and the God of uh, whosoever else they come up with. I can't pray that way because my Bible says whatsoever you ask, ask all in the name of Jesus. And if I pray in any other name, I don't really believe I'm praying. I don't think I'm doing anything but just uttering words. We have those who are part Islam. We have those who are part sun, yon, moon. We have those who are a little bit of everything. But God is saying to us that if you want to see my glory not only come back like it used to be, but see the latter glory exceed the former glory, you're going to have to do a wholehearted commitment back to Jesus Christ. We, we, we've already shouted. I know this isn't the shouting message. But Paul writes to these men of Israel who have committed to Jesus and now they're thinking about going another way. Paul says, I want to tell you something just before you leave from the body of Christ. Let me first of all remind you, and he uses the key word, better. He does not say that God was not in the religion of Judaism, but he simply says that no matter what you experience prior to knowing Jesus, Jesus is better. He starts off by saying, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake unto our fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. He simply says that it was God who spoke to our fathers. Every time the prophets opened their mouth and uttered their voice, it was God speaking through the prophets. But that was in former days. In these last days, Jesus is now the Father's last day messenger. And I've said so many times that that's my only thing that I really have against uh, Muhammad. I'm sure there are some good parts about Islam that I don't know. But when I look at the time of Muhammad's birth, Muhammad came about 500 years after Jesus. And since Paul, the writer of Hebrews, says that Jesus is God's last messenger, my problem is that Muhammad came too late. If, if, if he had come claiming to be a messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'd sit back, cross my legs, and say, let me hear what you got to say. But for him to come 500 years after Jesus and bypass Jesus, claiming to be the messenger of Allah, 
that, that's too much like Jehovah's Witness. Uh, you see, in order for you to be Jehovah's Witness, you've got to know Jehovah. But John told me, no man has seen Jehovah at any time. But the only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So all that I can know about God, about Jehovah, I've got to know it through Jesus Christ. Paul said, God, it's hundred times divers manner spake unto our fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, Jesus Christ, whom he hath appointed heir over all things. And using that word better lets me know that Jesus is better than the prophets. Doesn't matter which one of the prophets you're talking about, Jesus is better. You read in the Old Testament, there were some mighty prophets. They did some great things. But I want you to know I don't have to long for the days of Elijah. Elijah might have shut up the heavens that there be no rain. And then later he put his head between his knees and prayed until God sent the rain. But I want you to know that when I've got Jesus, I've got rain when I need it. When I've got Jesus, I've got bread when I need it. When I got Jesus, there's absolutely nothing that I can need that I do not have. One songwriter said, all that I need is in Jesus. He satisfies joy. He supplies. My life would be worthless without him. All things in Jesus I find. So he's better than the prophets. He goes on and says he's better than angels. Oh, I know, we got a lot of folk today that, that, that think it sounds mystical to tell you that an angel stood by me, or an angel showed me such and such a thing. But when I look in my Bible, it says the angels desire to look into the mystery of salvation, but they are not even able. Angels don't even know what it is you enjoy. In fact, every time angels look, and the Bible lets me know that when a sinner comes to Christ, that even heaven starts rejoicing. Angels don't necessarily know what they're rejoicing about, but they know one thing, that when a sinner comes down the aisle, that it moves God on the throne in such a way until all heaven gets concerned. He's better than angels. Not only is he better than angels, he's better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. Because when I think about Moses as great as he was, Moses, the Bible said, was a servant in the house of God. But Jesus is Lord over the house of God. Now what does that mean? If you've ever done domestic work, it doesn't matter how long you've worked in that house. Or when that little lad is born and before he gets two years old, the parents let you know, and now you be careful how you treat him, because this is the heir to all that I possess. I want you to know that Moses was a great servant, but when Jesus steps on the scene, he's not just a servant in the house. He is the Lord over the house. So when I compare Jesus with Moses, Jesus is better. He goes further to tell me that Jesus is better than Aaron. 
Aaron was the high priest. And you see, preachers, we got to watch ourselves. If there's anything at all that bothers me, I see a group of young preachers coming along building mega churches. But there's something about it that bothers me. I'm not concerned about their 20,000 members and more. I'm not concerned about them buying their private jets, but I'm concerned about the arrogance that I see with some of these young preachers. Aaron was the high priest, but while Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron made the mistake of building for Israel a golden calf. And God more or less said to him, I'm not going to get you now, but I'm going to get you later. And when Aaron became an old man, God told Moses, I'm not going to let him stay till he die, but bring him up to the top of the mountain, strip him of all of his insignia that tells who he is, and then put him on his son. I want you to know that we can get so arrogant until God can strip us, strip us from being pastor, strip us from being bishop, strip us from being district missionary. One passage, don't you ever forget, that when Samuel anointed Saul to be the king over Israel, he was tall, but he had a humble heart. And when Samuel wanted to introduce him, he went back into the supply tent and hid himself among the stuff. But after he got a few victories under his belt, he became so arrogant that he even second-guessed God. And when God told him what to do with the Amalekites, he disobeyed God and did what he wanted to do. And when Samuel went to let him know God has fired you, he said, remember, when thou was young, when thou was little in thine own eyes, was it not then that God made you the captain of his people, even over Israel? In other words, it doesn't matter how big people see you. Don't you ever look in the mirror and see what folks see. The people may see you high and lifted up, but if you want to stay where you are, you better see yourself always under the feet of Jesus. Well, this isn't the way I wanted to go, but I, I, I'm going to be finished in a few minutes. Jesus is better, better than Aaron, better than the Levitical priesthood. Well, why do you say he's better? Because you understand that the priest in Israel, his job was never done. Every year, he had to bring an offering on the Day of Atonement. He had to go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of a pure lamb without blemish and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. In the Holy of Holies, there was no chair in which he could sit. In the Holy of Holies, there was nothing but the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the symbol of God's presence. 
in the ark was a pot of manna reminding them of that 40 years traveling in the wilderness and God rained down manna every morning in the ark was Aaron's rod that budded in the ark was the two tables of stone upon which were written the Ten Commandments hallelujah and the ark itself was a box about four feet long two feet high two feet wide made out of shittim wood wood from the acacia tree it had two gold rings on the side a pole through the two rings on one side a pole through the two rings on the other this was so that when the priest had to move it they'd catch a hold to the pole they couldn't touch the ark but they could touch the pole and then the top of it was the mercy seat covered with pure gold and the priest would have to come and pull the blood sprinkle it on the mercy seat and then go out and tell the people your sins have been atoned for for another year but what he did last year he had to do this year what he did this year he'd have to do next year my god but when jesus came god from on high he himself became the passover lamb now when they killed the lamb the lamb had to be lying down so when he got to calvary they stretched the cross on the ground and laid him on top of the cross nailed his right hand nailed his left hand nailed his feet and then they lifted that cross up and the base of it settled into a hole that was to serve as a socket in the earth now he's the high priest he's the lamb lying down but he's the high priest standing up he's got man in one hand he's got god in the other hand and he declares i am the way i'm the way for god to get back to man i'm the way for man to get back to god and when it died on calvary in the temple the veil of the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom saying i know he's on calvary but his work is going on in the holy of holies and when he got through dying on the cross buried in joseph's new tomb got up that morning with all power in his hand the bible said he ascended on high and sat down at the right hand of the father saying i've died one time and i don't have to die no more Mm-hmm. One time he gave his life. One time he shed his blood. And I want you to know that it's been 2000 years ago, but the answer is still the same. What can wash away my sins? You ought to look at somebody and said nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, pressure. Oh, pressure. Give that flow that makes me white as 
get ready to go to my seat. Thanks of God. It's time to quit being so liberal. I'm not talking about other denominations of the Christian faith. But it's time for you to know who you believe in. It's time for you to know what you're standing for. Our nation is up against an enemy. They got the wrong religion. But they're so dedicated that they're willing to die for it. Have you even come to the level of commitment where you're willing to give your tithe? It's a long ways between arguing about giving tithe and being willing to die for what you believe. I want everybody to stand. It may be a little difficult, but uh, Dr. Bernard, if you could move the orchestra around the corner right quick. I want everybody standing. I want you to catch the person who's standing next to you by both of their hands. Hallelujah. I don't want you to ask God to do a thing for you. But I want you and that person who you're holding by the hand, I don't mean a holding hands across the board, but catch both hands of one somebody. And if there's a third party near you, you can include that third person. And I want you to tell that person, neighbor, it's time for us to recommit to our Lord and Savior. And I want you to begin to pray for that individual, that God will move every obstacle out of their way, that a new surge of God's Spirit will consume that individual. This back in 1963, back when your mom and daddy were just courting, right? Just courting.
Look at Ricky. Look at Ricky. Yeah. 